0: Come <laughs> My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got Jen Wexler, right director of the Ranger, on the show. Hello, Jen.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. I always like this uh, this little this little lull of hello because for the audience, we have just done a preamble where we've said hello, but I obviously I realise <laughs> for the purposes of a show you have to do it again, and I, and I always forget, and then when I'm doing it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are saying hello again, even though we've just done it. <clears throat> so forgive me there for that uh, repetition. Now, before we get into any details, let's give the list. Now, the ranger is in a prestigious position this year at Fright Fest, is it not? It is. You're opening the festival.
1: We are. It's very exciting. How does that feel? It feels amazing. Um, I mean, it was, we were just, you know, really excited to be playing the festival. And then when they told us that they wanted us to open it, it was just, you know, beyond our wildest dreams.
0: Well, there we go. Well, there we go. That's a good start then. So before before we go into it, give the listener a, a brief synopsis to what The Ranger is all about.
1: So The Ranger is about a bunch of punk kids who get in trouble with the cops and they go to the woods to hide out. And in the woods, they come up against a killer park ranger who starts taking them out one by one.
0: They do indeed. They do indeed. Right then, before we get into how you come up with that idea and how you made the movie, I want to ask you to give us a, um, a fond memory or an early memory of you watching, reading, observing or getting a peek at horror that sort of is memorable to you as something that started you on the journey you're currently on now where you're opening Frightfest Film Festival with, uh, with the Ranger.
1: Yeah, well, I've always been into horror. Uh, I was into this TV show when I was a kid called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay. And um, I was really into, like, hanging out in <laughs> graveyards school and doing, like, um, seances at slumber parties. I was always, like, that kid. But one of my freakiest memories uh, about horror was when I was, like, probably seven years old, I was at this, like, family reunion and there were a group of adults in a room watching something, and I walked into the room and I saw on TV these terrifying, dead-looking twin girls holding hands in a hallway.
0: Whoa. And,
1: (laughs) And I was so frightened and so freaked out, and I was like, whatever that is, I never wanna see this again. And of course, you know, throughout my life I've seen The Shining a zillion times. Um, but that was one of my first scarring memories as a child.
0: Me, I, I can share that with you. I've got me and my cousin Dawn, we were plucky 11 year olds who had been left in the house alone for a few hours. And we found the video for The Shining and watched it and wouldn't leave the living room till anyone came back. <laughs> we were absolutely terrified.
1: Yes, it's very scary, especially when you're a kid.
0: Yeah. Some t- I don't know about you, but I wish I could capture that, that, uh, that not, not gullibility. Gullibility is the wrong word, but that willingness to go with the story as if it's true. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: It's quite a pure way to watch a horror film, isn't it? It is. So uh, I, it, 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 would, it would be remiss of me not to ask, in your uh, slumber party seances, what success did you have?
1: Um, we did, I think we had a lot of success. I got uh, in touch with George Washington once. Mm-hmm. And he, what did he, he say? Turned on, he turned on the television set. <laughs> <laughs> I had to turn it off first because it was already on, but I turned it off and then I walked away from the TV set and then it turned back on. So that was evidence that George Washington was in the room with us. Um, we also, when I was like maybe 10 years old, I saw the craft. And mm. so my friends and I started playing light as a feather, stiff as a board. And while the person didn't actually float in the air, with all of us holding her, she became a lot lighter. So that was obviously evidence that it was working.
0: <laughs> Superb. Superb. Yes. Right then. So the Ranger, fantastic idea. And, um, so let's let's start with that then first for you as a, as a, as a writer working with and I'm going to try this Giacco Farino, is that right? Yeah,
1: Giacomo Ferrino.
0: Giacomo Ferrino. Um, you um, you where did this idea start? Where did the kernel of of uh, the idea for the Ranger start for you?
1: So Jocko and I um, went to college together, and we both majored in screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And this was his, like, senior screenplay. And I was, like, as soon as I, you know, we had to, like, workshop our, each other's ideas in class. Sure. And I was so into this concept of, like, these punks that go up against this park ranger. Because it automatically just started, like, filling my mind with, like, these, like, EC Comics-esque visuals like it felt like a comic book or like a, a 80s movie and so i was just super into it as an idea um but you know we graduated and we had to like find jobs that actually paid it let us pay our rent and feed ourselves and whatever mm-hmm. so it was a couple mm-hmm. of years before we could actually do anything with the idea but eventually i started working for a production company glass eye picks and producing movies and i like learned how to make movies <coughs> And then I was uh trying to I really wanted to direct something and I was um considering, you know, what I should direct as my first feature and I remembered Jocko's idea, so I called him and I asked him if he could like find the script and if we could work on it together and update it to our, you know, more mature sensibilities. <laughs> and okay. uh and yeah, if I could direct it.
0: So, so, in that sense, so in, so from that like that college that graduation piece uh, as a screenplay and an idea that obviously stuck with you um what was what was what was the challenge then to bring it up to what what became the film you made?
1: So back then, it was more of like a strict body count film. It was punks, they go to the woods, they get killed. Here are the ways we're gonna kill them. um so, when Jocko and I started working on it again something we were really interested in was like really opening up the character of Chelsea, uh, opening up the character of the Ranger and discovering their backstories and, and kind of just uh, filling the whole thing with, uh, you know, those kinds of sensibilities. Something that I was really interested in is the idea of like memories. Um, Chelsea goes back to this place where, you know, she hasn't been there since she was a kid uh, and she's she's kind of like rediscovering uh herself there um, and also another element was the idea of these different people telling you telling Chelsea who she should be mm-hmm. and over the course yeah. of the movie Chelsea kind of like discovering who she is
0: yeah no it's, it's it's a it's a fascinating uh recipe of of characters on 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 the one end obviously you've got. You've got her, who's clearly, who's clearly maybe a little separate from them, but clearly they're closest at the same time. Um, and then, and then there's, there's the relationship with the, with the ranger, which... Um, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm only stuttering because I'm, I'm realising that I don't want to be the one that puts too many spoilers out there. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to try to talk in general terms about specifics. Um, but yeah, no, I think, <clears throat> I think that mixture of characters is what, is what makes it fun. Um, because you know, we've—I guess we've—we've we've all been in one way, shape, or another. Not necessarily punks on the run, but we've certainly been in peer groups where we might not fit, and we're still finding ourselves. And I think that's a good setup for a, for a drama and and fun, fun, and games.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, there's just this—there's um, this. I find the idea of you know personality types like the ranger mm-hmm. who tell you who you should be or who want you to be a certain way. And, you know, he automatically doesn't like the punks because they're punks. Anyway, who don't like live up to expectations. I find those types of personality types, like very terrifying. I'm much more the type of person who embraces individuality. Um, so it was exciting to kind of like, you know, play with the uh, the punks. Uh, and build out those characters to be a group of like diverse individuals.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I think <clears throat> in the end, it's sort of um, the way that we, we socialise with other people. I just, I just find that there are people that are absolutely awful to be with and people that are good to be with, and some of those are what you might call alternative people who might live on the fringe of stuff, and some of those are as straight as a dime, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it is just there are good people and there are bad people, and I want to meet more good people than bad. Same. So when you're when you're developing that range of character, then who's that kind of stick up the ass type guy, um, with maybe the, script, the odd screw loose? Um, what? What? How? How did you? How did you manage the kind of idea of turning that up and turning it down, as it were? So you you know you kind of didn't explode it into sort of because because there's an element you know as much as it's a fantastic story, it's. Uh, given the given you setting this in a kind of eight in an eighties in an eighties world, there is a realness to it because you can imagine being that remote once you're in the in the mountain forest.
1: Yeah, well, I'm very afraid of the woods, and I'm a total city kid,
2: mm-hmm. so that
1: was that was uh, easy for me, you know, in terms of writing it because I was just like, okay, what are my fears being alone out here with? Um, you know, someone you feel like you should trust and yet for some reason you don't feel like you can quite trust them. Um, but in terms of the Ranger character, so we really wanted to create some <clears throat> level of, uh, you know, he he's not like Michael Myers and he's not like Jason. Uh, he has a personality. He has these like one-liners and whatnot. Um, but we wanted to find the there is a human element to him and he wants like connection, like at the heart of it. Um, so it was really fun and cool to explore that with uh, Jocko from a writing perspective, but also with Jeremy home who plays the Ranger um, while we were on set and really like figure out, you know, how friendly should he be here? Like how, you know, maniacal is he in this moment and really like, riding the beats of the character and and trying things out
0: yeah because given what you reveal about who what he's done and what he's up to him acting maniacal um doesn't matter does it really in the end because we know he is by the evidence you present us with so everything he says is in the context of discovering all this isn't it Mm
1: -hmm. exactly so we wanted to find deeper layers for the character
0: so, in, in, um, it, given you just said hey, you know, that, that uh, the wilderness isn't your favourite place, and I, and I absolutely concur with you, um, <laughs> I've, uh, I've just finished developing a project called Bear, setting on Norwegian Mountain. And, mm. uh, for, I, could, I could echo your exact reasons. My nightmare is having to handle animals to start with, being caught out in the wilderness um, with nowhere to go, Etc., etc. So, no, I completely understand that. And that's, I think that, I think us versus nature is a very, is a very simple thing that is easily relatable because we're really not that, I mean, they don't travel that far, but they are, they are, they are cut off from, from civilization. And that's, that's a real, that's a universal terror, whether you like walking in the hills or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. They, they know the city really well and they know how to get around the city and they know the cracks in the city. Um, but they're in, and they kind of have an ego that's like, "Oh yeah, we can figure it out," but they're actually in over their heads. So and that's that's what I would be. I would be if I were just out in nature, <laughs> I would be totally in over my
0: head. It reminded me, actually, have you ever seen that uh, the Vice video where they go and meet the the black metal guy up at his mountain house? I haven't. And they they're going up to film the interview, and obviously it's a Norwegian mountain they've gone to meet him on. And it's pissing it down and snowing, and they've got Converse on.
1: Oh my God. And
0: it's like, you know, going up to a Norwegian mountain house prepared for going to a bar in, you know, in Williamsburg. You know, yeah. Is not the best way to travel around the mountains.
1: That would be me. (laughs) Uh, I was so scared of bears attacking us, like while we were shooting, Mm -hmm. that I was just like, you know, we had to climb up this mountain to get to this place where we shot uh you know this fire tower sequence and we had to carry all of our equipment because there were no roads that went there so it's just like the film crew and the actors like hiking up this mountain and I just we're re- you're really in the middle of nowhere like and you definitely could run into a bear there were a lot of us so I think we were all making enough noise where we kept the bears at bay but even so I was googling like what to do if you see a bear and like Playing music on my Spotify really loud to try to keep the bears away and whatnot. But it was—it's was freaky.
0: I like—I like the idea of your uh, your woodsman your woodsman approach is Google.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I still had service in some parts of the mountain. <laughs>
0: super. So um what I mean you've given us a little insight into there into the challenges of shooting up in the wilderness. But 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 what what else what else for you was 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 a challenge in translating what was on the page as to what we see on screen in terms of shooting on location on, in in on a, on a mountain forest.
2: Um
1: I was really like well I produced a couple of films so and I'm the kind of producer that's like super hands on and on set all the time. So um, for me, what was really exciting was just, like, I kind of envisioned making The Ranger while I was producing other films. And there were lessons that I would learn from those other films that I'd be like, okay, if I face this kind of thing, I want to, like, I'm going to, like, keep this in mind for when I shoot The Ranger. So I think the most uh, – this uh it was just kind of a surreal experience, like, actually – directing and working with the different department heads from a, um, creative perspective versus from a producing perspective. Um, and you know, it's intense. I think one thing that I learned very quickly was when I'm producing, I, I want to keep everybody's spirits up and stuff. So sometimes at the end of the day, you know, people will be getting drinks and I'm like, definitely there socializing with everybody. And in terms of directing, I was like, I am not allowed to drink anything at all. I need to go to sleep early. Like as soon as we cut, I'm like, as soon as we wrap for the day, I am out. I'm going back to my hotel room and I need to like sleep as much as possible. So like keeping my immune system up, my immune, immune system up and, um, you know, really uh, knowing that my energy level is what kind of like controls the day was, uh, you know, a little eye opening for me.
0: Was that something you'd ever noticed as a producer with the behavior of directors or was that something you found you had to do to cope?
1: I definitely noticed it before with directors, but I noticed it from an outside perspective. When, it's you, when you're the one who, you know, you know that the uh, health of your immune system will directly relate to the health of the energy that's going on on the shoot. I feel like it's a different type of thing.
0: Yeah, I can, ima- I can imagine a, a feature film shoot is, would make the, the, the most ardent extrovert introvert by the end of the day, i.e. they just want to be on their own to recharge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, actually, it's funny that you bring that up because something I noticed throughout this whole process mm-hmm. is um, mm-hmm. the way I feel that as a director, you have to like kind of go back and forth between being an extrovert and an introvert.
2: Like, okay.
1: Um, okay. And you have to kind of be okay with like both mentalities because on that level in terms of shooting yes for sure during the day like during your shoot day whether it's at night or during the day um you have to be a total extrovert um then you have to be an introvert when you have your alone time to like recharge but also on a more macro level you know when you're writing you're writing by yourself or with a partner you're kind of writing you have to kind of be an introvert and be in your head when you're writing then when you're in pre-production and production you have to be an extrovert um then when you're editing you go back to being an introvert and just being like alone with your footage and then you have to go back to being an extrovert when you're like on the festival circuit and doing press and interviews like this and uh Mm. you know talking to people at your screenings and everything so I kind of like shifting back and forth. It doesn't get boring. It keeps things exciting for me. Um, But I could imagine that it's difficult if you lean more in one way or more the other way.
0: No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I I spend most days writing, and so that is that is a fairly solitary experience. I mean, to be honest, I do I do the podcast to almost like keep myself on my toes. um, In that sense, you know, because you're right. You you um, and I feel it more when it's fright fest because I'll do probably do about 20 podcasts all so told over, oh, wow. over, over, is over the next sort of three to four weeks and obviously that takes that takes a lot of extrovert energy to to, to speak to strangers in quick succession which is fun because I'm learning about people making movies that's it's not a bad thing but yeah you realize when I mean I remember last year I did three on the bounce so three complete strangers doing this but we're doing and this feels very meta in the middle of a podcast but I'm going to keep going um <laughs> it's it, um it did I was like I, I turned out to wife I said I'm absolutely exhausted <laughs> yeah I'd only sat in a chair
1: <laughs> yeah but it's like so fun like I love bouncing between those two extremes mm. uh although I have to say I think I lean more towards being an extrovert than being an introvert because I well first of all like I wrote this – I wrote The Ranger with a writing partner. I'm writing my new screenplay with a writing partner. And then with The Ranger, I started off editing it by myself, and then I brought on um, Abby Kilheffer, who's also our key grip on the movie. She does everything, as it turns out. She does post and production. But anyway, she ended up coming on and being my, like, co-editor because I was like, wow, I need, like, more eyes on this, and I need to be in the room with somebody and be talking to somebody. So I think, like – naturally i'm more of an extrovert
0: got you got you now in, in, in that in that in that um balancing of which part of your ego and your id you're talking with or talking to uh what was your conversation like with your cin- cinematographer about the look and feel you were wanting to achieve with the movie because obviously being being period as well as being your movie what were you going for
1: yeah so um the dp was uh his name is james seward and he was actually the DP of a movie I produced called Like Me. So we got along really well on that shoot. And then I asked him if he would shoot The Ranger as well. Um, and he's awesome because he, uh, he just has like a really creative genius mind. He like builds his own rigs and he, the way he like thinks about how to approach things is like very out of the box. So that was really cool. Um, but we talked about, uh, the idea of, I really wanted it, it's period, it's 80s, but I didn't want it to just be like an exact replica of the 80s or like, I didn't want it to be like, this takes place in 1985. And, um, so the way I would talk about the movie to the cast and the crew is I would call it 80s dreamland, which is like 80s, but just like left to reality, like a slightly different Universe than what we actually, you know, than the real world's universe
0: of the 80s. So, like, um, a, so like a fairy tale version of it.
1: Exactly. A fairy tale version of it, a, mm. a comic book version of it, a slightly uh, higher uh, surreal version of it. So, that's why we invented, uh, Jocko and I invented this fake drug, Echo, uh, which is like, you're like, oh, is that, that seems like something that would be familiar to me, but I haven't heard that exact you know name for that drug before so uh, and it's pink uh, i just figured picture. it was about <laughs> exactly or that that's fine too. <laughs> um but uh so it was cool like working with james um to like figure out like what is that what does echo look like like what does it feel like when you're on the drug Um, and you know, that comes back later on in the film as well. Mm, Um, and then we, I worked with, uh, my production designer, Rebecca Brown to really, um, you know, we were shooting on location. So we had to find those cabins. We had to, um, you know, find, uh, we had to use production design as much as possible to make the woods look interesting, which I was always really into the idea of having like, um, uh you know the punks have their crazy hair colors and their clothes and they're like infiltrating this like Smokey the bear parkland um just having those like bright colors in the woods was always one of the appealing things to me about the
0: ranger Tell, tell me more about this idea of production values in the woodland what do you need to do for that what to to make your film and make it period what was what was the challenge there
1: yeah so a lot of it is in the costumes mm-hmm. um because a lot of it is characters in the woods so a lot of it was the costumes so we worked with our costume designer samantha hawkins and her assistant sarah lot um to really like the the costumes were so important to us like getting those right our producer heather buckley is like like knows like just a punk aficionado and knows the exact ways laces are supposed to be laced in boots and things like that. So she kind of worked with Samantha and Sarah and together we got these like really awesome, legit costumes and you know, they're in every frame of the movie along with the hair. Like when we were casting the actors, the first thing I would, I would say to the casting director would be, it was like, they need to be okay with dying their hair. That's like so important. Cause like Chelsea's pink hair is in every frame of the movie and uh, that allows it to have this kind of like bubblegum candy colored vibe. Um, yeah. And then it was just about finding these locations. We shot in this really cool punk club called Don Pedro in Brooklyn. And, uh, we were actually one of the last things to be there before they closed. They'd been open for like 25 years or something. And they closed right after, not because of us, but they closed right after we shot there. Um, and, uh, it was just about like finding locations because we weren't building anything. Finding locations that that was part of this world and keeping an eye out for that in our location scouts. Yeah, because
0: um, I could I could imagine. I'm trying to think of the um, is, it, is it is it Son of Sam with Adrian, with Adrian Brody that put the, the, the serial killer film into. it? It's, I'm trying to think of the name because I just imagine your your cast had just walked off that film into your film. In some senses, you know, the way that oh, that was that hot summer, in your, I know it's a bit earlier than your period, but uh, you know, Adrian Brody plays the kind of mohawk punk in oh, sugar butters. The um, you'll have to believe me, <laughs> <laughs> my, mind's, my mind's gone blank. I, I, I it's just a thought that struck me while we were talking. Um, in um, in the uh, yeah, in, if there's um. Oh goodness! It Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anyway, it, yeah, it felt it felt authentic is what I'm trying to say in a very roundabout way. Um, cool. Thank you. Uh, but also, like you say, in a fun way, it was. A, you, I didn't feel like I was straining to, um, to 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 want to believe everything was authentically eighties. In fact, I, I I I um I had that kind of I had that kind of moment at the start where I was going right. Where's the phones? Yeah, I didn't, you know, because we live in an age now that's so postmodern that someone with pink hair and a biker's jacket and some band, you know, safety pin to the back of the jacket, is is yeah from a period when punk was at its peak. But also, if somebody walked past me now, I wouldn't necessarily bat an eyelid.
1: Right, totally. Um, yeah, I hate cell phones. I hate them so much. Is that but... as a screenwriter?
0: Is that as a screenwriter or is that as a person?
1: Both. <laughs> I- <laughs> I, I just deleted Facebook and Twitter from my phone because Mm. I feel like they take up too much of my mental energy. Mm. So that's just to say I hate my, I mean, it's, it's, it's useful in different ways, but, uh, I feel like I'm becoming a zombie from looking at my phone so often. So I've decided to remove those apps from my phone. Fuck that. And, um, on set, it was cool because while I was Googling how to fend off bears, often we didn't have service so the cast and crew couldn't be looking at their phone and that was awesome because as a director I was like yeah everybody's like totally in the moment um as a producer I would have been pissed and my producers were pissed uh but <laughs> as a director it was great
0: so yeah so uh you're, you're heading into the future by regressing into the technological past
1: exactly
0: good move I think it's was um <laughs> So, uh, without giving too much away, and because uh, obviously we're doing a preview podcast, um, tell us though something that um, that only that, that only you would sort of know. The story you could tell from being on that somebody from only you was on set with you producing this movie that would know that's sort of a reflection of how the film became for you.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Let me think about that for a second. Um. Sh-
0: and while you're thinking, it was Summer of Sam, that film. Thank Christ for that.
1: Spike, Summer of Sam.
0: Summer of Sam, Spike Lee movie from 99.
1: Yeah, that's like 70s, right? Yeah,
0: late 70s. I mean, it's slightly before, but it, but Asia Brody plays like a, a glue, glue-spiked-haired glue punk. And, cool.
1: Um, okay, this is a slight spoiler, but it's fine. Um, so, Larry Fessenden... who is the head of Glass Eye Picks uh, and a producer in the film. And he's an actor. He acts in lots of um, indie horror films.
0: He's the face of indie horror. He might not be the star of any of them, but he's the face of it, isn't he?
1: Exactly. (laughs) So I felt it was a rite of passage as a filmmaker for Glass Eye Picks Mm. to have him be a character in the movie Mm-hmm. And you know, spoiler alert, but he dies in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but he dies in almost every movie that he's in. Um and he li he dies so often that he has a death reel that he put he updates and puts out every year on his birthday. Um so I thought it was a rite of passage. So I was like, uh, Larry is definitely gonna play this character. Um and while we were shooting, uh well, first of all, it's, it was pretty, we had to like get his body out to these rocks. So mm-hmm. me, me and this, uh, this other guy that works for Glass Eye, we like rode out across the lake and we had to like, like, car- it was like we were carrying like a dead person, like an actual dead person. So we were carrying not real Larry, but like dummy Larry, like over all these rocks. And it was like maybe one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And I was like, wow, I would have definitely killed this person person if I was actually carrying, like, a dying person over all these rocks because we were just, like, <laughs> whipping... We'd, like, whip his body up and then climb up the next uh rocks and whatnot. Anyway, at the end of the day, we were all driving home in the punk van, Um and we got pulled over because that van is, like, a very, you know... It's, like, broken. It should not be on the road. But we got pulled over by a cop, and we had... Larry's dead body in the back seat and guns in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, she didn't look in the back seat, but uh, it was a very terrifying moment.
0: That's 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 a very that could have been a very meta moment. couldn't it? a horror film within the within the making of your horror film.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, what would, I, 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 I forgot to ask: What would be your? I, I know I know you you weren't sort of falling over yourself to be absolutely eighties with this kind of this fairy tale sort of sheen over it. But what's your favorite eighties detail you managed to, to to get into the film?
1: Um, one of my favorites is that the punk van has uh, references on it to Return of the Living Dead, to the car that's in Return of the Living Dead. Cool. Yeah,
0: and um, oh god, my mind went blanking for a second. Um, well, I suppose, I um my mind's gone blank now. Hold on a sec. I'll have to edit myself out here. Um, oh yeah, that was that. Um, there was um, there's there's a lot with with the um, there's kind of a there's a, there's been a fashion for kind of. The eighties kind of synth sound in in in, um, in modern sort of certainly in indie horror, and you know obviously it's crept into bigger films now. Um, and it was it was really really exciting to to get the energy of the punk sound that he used, um, that, that sort of overlays a lot of the a lot certainly a lot of the early action when when we're when we're in the gig and when we're in the when we're in the van and stuff. But there was I, I won't I won't hopefully you'll know exactly what I mean. But there's a moment where there's a dramatic downturn and the soundtrack becomes that lovely synth sound. I thought it was a really clever choice. Can, can you picture what I'm talking about?
1: I believe I can.
0: It's when they go back to the van, I think it is.
1: Yeah, 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 totally.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and it just, it, it, it totally, it just gives, with, with all the freneticness that's going on in that moment and what's led them to go back to the van, as it were, then the, the music just goes into this lovely Synth moment, synthy Score moment. Which felt it's like you expect this from the get go because of where you you've set the, the period you've set the film in and and obviously this this love of it that we've seen in genre. But actually it felt like a really clever choice. Can you can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, well thank you. Um so we worked with uh Wade McNeil, uh who used to be in the band Alexis on Fire, mm-hmm. and he's in the band Gallows and he has uh black lungs. Uh, as well, and Andrew Gordon McPherson, they were our composers, and when we were talking about the movie, we we talked a little bit about the synth aspect, and while we wanted to play into it a little bit, um, okay. in certain okay. moments, we definitely didn't want the whole movie to have, to just be a synth score, because when you're thinking 80s movies, it is, so that's, that's just what comes to mind. So, what I really wanted was, um, well i wanted the score and the soundtrack to feel like a mixtape so when the punks feel like they're in control you have all this punk music and then as they're getting deeper into the rangers woods it becomes more cinematic and that's uh what you're talking about when it goes into like the synthy mm. place when they're losing control it goes into like 80s synthy yes, cinematic it's, it's, it's
0: place. A be- beautiful touch
1: Thank you. And then as the movie continues and they really get to the rangers, you know, the ranger really starts to uh, exert his power, uh, then you you fall into his music of choice. So we really want to play with all these different music styles and use them to show who was like in control at which moment in the movie.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, oh, this is final. Uh, finally, what would 15 year old punk you think of you making a punk film set in the 80s?
1: 15 uh, year old punk me would be so excited about everything that's happened. Uh, she would be, I wish I could go back and tell her because she was like a loner and she didn't have that many friends, and she actually like discovered, you know, that there was more to like life that is outside of her high school by going to punk shows. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could go back and like, be like, yo, you're going to be so excited when you discover that you like get to work in film and you get to work on all these cool projects. And then this project, that's your passion project. You know, you actually get to make it and put it out there. She would be so thrilled to know that. And she'd be also be very thrilled to know that I was on the list (laughs) to go to work shore two days ago.
0: (laughs) Well, look, uh, I look forward to the uh, the opening of the Fright Fest Film Festival with the Ranger. I'm sure you do, and the people listening. And it uh, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast.
1: Cool. Thank you so much. This was so much fun.
0: The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page all contributions are welcome and the music is by chris reed of the